Amen. If you've been with us the uh, last couple of weeks, you've noticed that we've, we've turned the corner on a, uh, a direction we're going. We moved from the authentic church to the authentic Christian. And uh, we're about three weeks into it now. And thus far, what we have looked at, just by way of reminder, uh, by way of catching up if you haven't been with us, uh, and as a runway to where I'm going today, we looked at the beginning. We looked at how God designed man to be in his original state, in his original purpose. I talked a couple weeks ago about how God fashioned man out of the dust of the ground, and then he breathed into him the breath of life. And that breathe literally means to, to give up or uh, to, to blow. In other words, it came from him to him, and that, that uh, breath of life is, is divine inspiration. So the man created as a physical earth suit, environmentally conscious, with a soul, as Bill looked at last week, with a soul that housed his identity or his uh, individuality. The soul of a man is that which is his uniqueness, his personality, the way he's different from any other person on the planet before or after him. It's his thinker, his feeler, his chooser. It's, it's the behavior mechanism of the man, behavior mechanism of the man. And when God breathed his life into the spiritual part of the man, as opposed to the environment conscious and the self-conscious, he imparted to him his spirit in the part of him that is God conscious. The man was created in the image of God, which means the man's primary identity is spiritual because God is spirit. Those who worship him must do so in spirit and in truth. So the, the core of the man's identity, capable under inspiration of the Holy Spirit to bear the image of God, the the whole man came alive. The Holy Spirit given to him to, to lead him into righteousness, to, to declare to him the truth about God, to help him, to empower him to reign on the planet, the purpose for which he was created. And in doing so, he would bear the image of God. That's what was normal. God and man partnering in reigning on the planet together. But you remember, as Bill talked about last week, uh, man was created for the purpose of relationship with God. And the relationship with God that God desired was a love relationship. God is love, love is of God. It says we love because he first loved us. So God gave us, by virtue of the Holy Spirit, the ability to love him back. But love demands a choice. Love is not something you can compel. It's not robotic. It's a choice. Love is given. And so God gave man the ability to declare his love of God by making virtually any choice in the garden. From all of the trees of the garden, you can freely eat. 
God said, let's go out and discover this together. You choose what we're going to look at today. But then he gave him the flip side. Because love isn't love if you have no choice to not love. So there was that tree that God put in the center of the garden, the tree that contained the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And of that tree, God said, don't eat, because in the day that you eat of it, you will declare you want to be separated from me. That's the decision you can make to say, I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. And in the day that you eat of it, I will honor that decision and I will remove my life from your life. That very life that brought the man alive in his completeness, when they made that choice, God honored that choice and man fell from that wholeness for which he was created. I talked a couple weeks ago how the Holy Spirit was, in a sense, in a very limited, weak picture, the GPS system of the man. The one who would, who would guide and empower and direct. And all of a sudden, with the Holy Spirit departing from the man, the man fell from his position. He fell from his position of bearing the image of God. He fell from his position as, as the one who reigned, who ruled over this earth. He forfeited that position to the devil. If you read about the devil in the, in the Bible, you'll find that he's the prince, the power of the air, the ruler of wickedness from the heavenly places. He's the god of this world. He's the ruler of darkness. And you don't have to look very far to see it. And there's no longer a tree out here. There's a forest of trees out here by which we can choose to say, this is how I'm going to play God for myself. Man was broken. He was ignorant of who he was and who God was. One of the first things we find about in Genesis chapter 3, after eating from the tree, all of a sudden man was, A, aware of his nakedness, which meant he was now self-focused, self-centered, whereas before he was full of life. But now he was empty. And the needs that he was created with, the needs that he was hardwired with, in a sense, the need for love, to be loved and to love, his need for acceptance, his need for significance, his need for security, those needs were no longer being met the way God designed them to be met. That was by virtue of his Holy Spirit providing those things directly and indirectly through relationships in the garden. All of a sudden, those needs were screaming. And the man's focus went from outward, serving the world, serving the creation that God inspired him to, to uh, partner with him in, to himself. And now, all of a sudden, he was desperate. He was empty. And his, his vision was dropped to that of the world, and he was ignorant. Remember, when he was aware of God's presence in the garden, where do we find him? They're hiding behind trees from an omniscient, omnipresent God. They had no clue. This is where man fell to. 
And this is where Satan began to work. He began to orchestrate a system which would keep man in darkness. Because he didn't want man to acknowledge God. He didn't want man to ever think that God existed. He wanted to convince the man that he could be his own God. And he began to orchestrate this world system, a system that demands performance. When you look at the early beginnings to now, this is a performance-based accepted environment that we live in. Because all we can recognize is how we are compared to somebody else. We measure ourselves with ourselves, by ourselves. We determine what's going to generate acceptance and love, and so we go to work. We, we shape ourselves the way we think will be attractive. We, we uh, work ourselves, we, we educate ourselves, we apply ourselves to things that will bring approval of men. And hopefully, contentment to ourselves. But it's all up to us. And we measure ourselves against a very critical audience that changes. And it's never enough. Twice in Proverbs it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Jeremiah 2.13, God said, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and have made for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They give a temporary satisfaction, but it's short-lived. And all of a sudden, we're looking for something else or looking for something more. That's what man understands is I've got to fend for myself, and I've got to prove myself. I've got to protect myself. Far from the design. But God had a plan. God knew the condition of man before man obviously knew his own condition. God's the wise builder. He says, be a wise builder. He says, the... The wise builder counts the costs before he begins a project, lest he begins and runs out of money. What he's built stands as a monument to his foolishness. Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. He knew what we were going to cost. He was ready to pay, and he would pay, but man needed to know he needed someone to pay because man was bankrupt. He was broken. He was born in sin, filled with sin, and he had no clue. So God put into motion a plan, knowing the condition of man, understanding the limited understanding they had. God began to reveal through a, a, a progressive revelation of himself, declaring himself uh, to the world, but also revealing the need that people had of him. In, uh, I'm going to be all over today, and so if you have your Bibles, grab them, get your fingers licked because we're going to be moving. Uh, I'll try to remember where we are, but we're going to be bouncing around. If you have your, I, 
whatever, things, uh, get your thumbs loose. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now jump down to verse 14. But a natural man, now your Bible may read the man without the spirit or even the animal man, the man who's functioning only physically and soulishly, not spiritually because he's dead spiritually. The, man, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Now, we really need to understand that, or you won't understand the Old Testament. You won't understand why God had people do what they did. You won't understand why God made examples of certain people groups. You, it, it'll, just, it'll, it'll be confusing. What God is doing is he's beginning to use physical pictures to reveal spiritual truths. And we're going to start with, with a picture that he, he gave in Abraham. Abraham was a man who was looking for God, and God met him. And he said to that man, I will make of you a great nation. From you will come the Messiah. Will, from you will come the one who will save the world from their sin. Abraham obviously didn't understand that. Abraham made a lot of mistakes. Abraham couldn't comprehend what God was talking about, but he trusted him. And by faith, he was declared righteous. He wasn't perfect. He was a lost man. Still running on this uh, performance-based acceptance system that the world had put in place and easily deceived. But he was looking for God, and God began with him. And from him, he made a nation. We know it as the Hebrews or the Jews. Uh, it was a nation that would represent the people of God. There wasn't a nation of Hebrews before Abraham. That's where they started. And that, that, that people of God would be the picture of today's Christian, the people of God. A physical picture of a spiritual reality of the children of God. But he, they were a people with whom he would interact. He would be personal the way it was designed to be in the garden, but not the way, because now it was external, not internal. And he began to reveal himself through various means, some of which were his names that he would, he would reveal himself as after doing something for them. He was reintroducing himself to them. And after 400 years in bondage in Egypt... God brought them out, and there were a bunch of them. God brought them out of Egypt, personally interacted with them, did miracles, signs, and wonders, delivering them from the bondage of Egypt. And all of a sudden, this people, they were ready to praise this God. It had been 
over 400 years since they had had any interaction with God, and now this God was demonstrating his power and his intention. And they were ready to worship this God, they thought. But God knew they couldn't. But he also knew they didn't know that. So we see him do something that a lot of people get confused by. Through Moses, he reveals how to worship him. He takes Moses up on the mountain, and as Bill Gillum says, he hung ten on him. The Ten Commandments. This was God's answer to their problem. Not to fix the problem, but to reveal the problem. And people have misunderstood this, the, what we refer to as the law. The Ten Commandments. Now, there's, there's, there's two things translated law. There's, there's ethos, which, which is the, uh, they're the religious laws that we make up ourselves. Uh, they're not written. We just kind of make them up, um, thinking that it's a good idea. Uh, they're the personal laws that we make for ourselves the standard by which we conduct ourselves or the standard we hold ourselves to, which subsequently becomes a standard we expect everybody else to meet, that's judging. But that, there's those laws that we make up ourselves or we adopt ourselves, and those are just as binding as the written laws, which are the nomus laws. They're the Ten Commandments. They're the Levitical laws. They're the, the dietary, the worship laws, the... Uh, the punitive laws, they're, uh, they're, they're all these celebratory laws that God prescribed to the people. They were written. But one is just as binding as the other. But God started with the Ten Commandments. And if we don't understand what the Ten Commandments were given to him for, we're going to get tripped up. We're going to, we're going to struggle the purpose of God's law, first and foremost, was to reveal who God is. It wasn't given to fix them. It was given to make sure they knew they were broken. It was given not to inspire them to good works, but to actually reveal to them they were powerless for good works. In 1 Timothy 1, verses 8 and 9, it says, But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, or for murderers. It goes on. That's who the law was for. The people, it was, it, was, it was for the lost people, which everybody was. Every single person was born in the sin of Adam, separated from God by this barrier of sin. But the problem that they had is they didn't know what was sin. They didn't know. So God gives them the Ten Commandments. 
And that was given to them to say, okay, if you want to, if, it's great that you want to worship me. Yes, I am who you think I am. I am God. And here's who I am. I'm the one and only God. There is no other God. So don't create them. They're, don't put any other God before me. That was the first commandment. I'm the one and only. And then he says, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a liar. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a thief. I covet nothing because I own everything. He revealed the character of God with the law. He said, this is what holiness is. This is what I created you for. So that was one of the purposes of the law, to define God's nature and, and as a standard of holiness. It was also given for the protection of man. They were a motley crew. They had no idea what was right and what was wrong. And as such, they, were, they had no boundaries. In Galatians 3.19, it says, Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions having been ordained through the angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. It was also given to him to reveal what sin is. Romans 7, verses 7 and 8. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. So what the law did, it revealed what, what holiness was and subsequently what lawlessness was, what sin was. Do you realize up until then, they really didn't know? They really didn't know. So God said, here's, here's what sin is. And by the way you're all sinful. In Romans 3, verses 10 through 12, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. There was no one who could look at the, the, the law and say, oh, I do all that. Remember that rich young man who came to Jesus and said, what must one do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, oh, well, keep the commandments. And he says, well, this I've done since, since my youth. And Jesus said, well, great. Then go and sell everything that you have. Give to the poor and come and follow me. And he went away sad. Why? Because Jesus just revealed he wasn't keeping the commandments. He had a God before him, his money, his status. The law revealed sin to be sin and, and declared all men sinful. But there's another thing that the law does. It leads us to Christ. But not in a gentle way. <laughs> It says in Galatians 3.24, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. 
A tutor in those days was not like we tend to think. You know, we hire a tutor to come and help us and to encourage us and to, you know, maybe uh, help us understand things. And we generally tend to think of them as gentle and patient and that kind of thing because they're getting paid. Uh, but a tutor in their day was one assigned to get one from point A to point B regardless of what it took. And they had the freedom to be as harsh and demanding as they wanted to be. So when a tutor was hired, it was out of necessity because of somebody's unruliness or unwillingness, and it was a hard, demanding, harsh thing. And that's what the law is, because it takes prisoners. There is no one who's encouraged by it, but all are convicted by it. In fact, the effects of the law is that, is that man is cursed. If you look at Galatians 3.10, it says, For as many as are, are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. I mean, when the law came, all of a sudden everybody was under a curse. Because now they knew now there was no excuse. They knew what sin was and subsequently knew what righteousness was. There was no wiggle room. There was no way out. There was no claimed ignorance. God told them. The law demands perfection. James chapter 2, verse 10, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. You know, you got people who can perform pretty good. But you know what? They can't perform everything. Even their motive for doing what they do is, is, is wrong. But there are self-disciplined people. And you know what? The law says, you know, you could, in this league, you can bat 900 and be batting zero. Because you break one, you've broken them all. So it's demanding. And it brings about bondage in Galatians 3.23, but before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. We were kept in custody. Literally, we were shut up under sin and recognized there's no escape. There was a barrier placed between God and us, and we're the ones who put it there. Sin was that barrier, and we were shut up underneath that barrier of sin, that covering of sin. Here's the interesting thing about the law. We tend to think it'll make us better, but it makes us worse. When you try to abide by the law, when you make one of these standards, whether you're trying to keep God's or your own, what it does is it arouses the passion of sin within us. Romans 7, 5, while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. Go on a diet, and you'll see how this works. The moment you decide, after you eat that last donut, and you said, okay, after this donut, I'm going on a 
diet, all of a sudden what your focus is on is what you can't have. And it will set in motion failure. You might succeed for a while, boom, it's over. You know, sometime paint something in your yard and put up a sign that says wet paint, do not touch. And why? see all those wasps and flies that are attacking that window trying to get in? That's what the little kids in the neighborhood will be like. They'll just come swarming and they'll touch it. That's what the law does. It arouses the desire to do the very thing that the law prohibits. And it brings about, if we are one of those performers, one of those self-disciplined people, we go to the side of, of self-righteousness, uh, pride. We saw that in the Pharisees. You know, they made up stuff to keep, you know, to keep. You know, they always made up stuff that they could keep, knowing that other people couldn't. But, you know, that's what the Pharisees were. They were a proud, proud people because they were good performers. But if you're not a good performer, if you're not a self-disciplined person, boom, you're on the other side. And now there's self-condemnation. I'm a loser. I can't do this. I'm, you know, I'm lowly. I'm no good. Either side, you're wrong. You're wrong. So why do we have the law? Because we needed it. For all those reasons, the Bible says. But do we still need it? That's what we're going to be looking at in the next couple weeks, is where does the law fit in the life of a Christian? You're going to find out it doesn't. It doesn't fit. In fact, it's the very reason so many Christians are harsh and critical and condemning of others and, and you know, just kind of nasty to be around. You're going to find that, that the law is the reason why so many Christians avoid God because they know they're breaking the law. You're going to find that the law in a Christian's life will, will, will keep people from the very God that came and suffered and died for them to restore them back to a relationship. I watch it all the time, and believe me, I tried it. I'm a, I'm a pretty good performer, so I went that route, and I just became this nasty Pharisee where I, and it, but it broke me. And I had to ask God, why, you know, why is this so darn hard? He said, because it's not designed for you. It's not designed for anybody in their own strength to keep. But what we'll discover in the next couple weeks is that we've been set free from this law, which is possible because God reinstalls to the Christian the GPS system that he designed him with in the beginning. Remember Jesus? His words? He, we're going to come up on the Christmas season here where, where we celebrate the Advent of Jesus Christ, God as man, Emmanuel, God with us. 
And as such, as a, as a, as a man, as a, as a human being, remember a couple weeks ago I said he kept referring to himself as the son of man because he wanted us to know, I'm one of you, but I'm different because I'm the way I designed you to be, and you're not like me, but I want to make you like me. But you have to understand you have a problem. You don't have what I have. You don't have what it takes to be righteous. He said, when you see what I do, he says, it's not me who does the work. It's my father. He's at work. He says, when you hear me, what I say, they're not my words. I repeat what my father says. He says, I don't do anything on my own initiative, but everything I do, I do by the direction of my father. When Philip came and said, teacher, it'd be enough if you showed us the Father. He says, Philip, yeah, I've been with you this long, and yet you still say, show us the Father. But when you've seen me, you've seen him. I and my Father are one. We're in this relationship that I designed men to have that you've fallen from, but I want to restore. Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. Let me give you an example of what that means. Uh, if you remember the story of Cinderella, um, I've got a granddaughter, so I know the story of Cinderella. Cinderella had a, a pair of glass slippers, and she lost one. Those slippers were divinely manufactured for, I shouldn't say divinely, specifically, specially manufactured for her. They fit her and no one else, though everyone tried to cram their shoe or their foot into that shoe for the reward that would come with it. No one could get it done. It fit no one in the kingdom but one person. And it slipped on and perfectly fit for her. Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. He's the only one on this planet since Adam and his wife fell in the garden. He was the only one that fit the dictates, the demands of the law. And not because he was doing it with self-effort to keep it, but because he was walking by the very spirit of his father and in listening to his father and making himself available to the father by walking by faith, he just never broke it. Because you won't. You'll know that there's one God and who it is. You won't worship another God. You won't covet. You won't steal. You won't lie because God is never going to lead you to do that. You won't murder. That's what Jesus did. He lived out of the abundance of God. He didn't live by the picket fence that surround, that, that declared what unrighteousness was because he was righteous. He didn't, he didn't focus on it. Because he was righteousness. He was holiness. He was just being himself as he des designed men to be. And here's where we're headed in the next couple weeks.
Next week, Bill's taking a look at what happened on the cross because, you know, that barrier that we talked about, that barrier of sin that separated the Spirit of God from man, it got removed at the cross. So Bill's going to take a look at that. Then on the following week, I'm going to look at, well, then, what does it mean? What does it look like if a man accepts God's gift of eternal life and is reinstalled with the Holy Spirit. What, how can that happen? Who is that man now if he's a new creation? So we'll look at that. But then the following week we'll look at, okay, as a new creation, now back in the design with the Spirit of God dwelling within us, how then do we live? And we'll look at this new covenant called grace. Because the law drove us to grace. Because it drove us to Christ, who was full of grace and truth. So we're no longer to be living by the dictates of the law, but by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as a believer. And I pray this morning that if, you're, if this has spoken to you in any way, I pray that you search it out. If you're a Christian living under the law, you're struggling. You're not enjoying life. So pray about it. How tied are you still to the law, whether it be the religious laws or whether it be your personal dictates? They're both going to kill you. Well, they're not going to kill you. They're going to rob the very life that God gave you because you're going to be focused on yourself and your performance instead of him and his leading in his abundance. But before you go, I'm going to give you one to-do besides pray. I want you to go out and enjoy this creation that God has given us. You know, because what a person under the law forgets is that God invented, he created beauty. He invented fun. And the law sucks that right out of people. They don't even see it. So I want you to get out and enjoy it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are and the freedom that you have come to give to us. You said it's for freedom that we have been set free. Do not be entangled again to your yoke of bondage. And that is the law. So, Father, I pray that you'll work the, these words into the lives of everybody here, including myself. And, Father, we'll trust you for the outcome of that. And may you see us alive the way you designed us to be, being led by your Spirit, loving and living. And we'll trust you for the outcome of that. In Jesus' name, amen.